everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up. BFW's weekly show will be hit on all of the biggest news of the week. Bayern Munich, of course, was very busy. They had a Bundesliga game against Borussia Mönchengladbach, which didn't go all that well, but then rebounded nicely against Victoria Köln in the DFB Pokal. And it was a very uh, dominant effort, to say the least, from Byron in that match. Uh, we'll hit on both of those and a lot more. Uh, so let's just get right down to it. Uh, the five things that we learned this week. Uh, the first thing being that we learned that Byron Munich, for as good as they are, will have some up and down performances over the course of this season. And we can look at that Gladback game and we can... You could dissect it. You could go through all the things that maybe didn't work out. Uh, I think it was a combination of things, really, that Byron was up against. I mean, firstly, they ran into an incredibly hot <laughs> goalkeeper in Jan Sommer, who just has Byron Munich's number and was just excellent in every facet of the match. Uh, it, it was It's pretty incredible to see how, no matter how low Gladbach can get, no matter how much they struggle or how much internal scuffling they may have going on, that when they play Bayern Munich, they always find a way to get it together. Uh, Bayern Munich, on the other hand, listen, in that match, it was it was crazy. They had so many shots, so many good opportunities. They could not convert really anything. It was just, in my mind, one of those games that you're going to have over the course of the season that even if you outplay your opponent, you're still not going to come away with three points. And I think it was really just a matter of that. Is Gladbach the bogey team? Absolutely, they are. <laughs> they have Bayern Munich's number for whatever reason. But it doesn't mean that there's uh, any dr- dramatic flaw in Bayern Munich. This is a long season. This is the Bundesliga. It's the DFB Pokal. It's the Champions League. You're going to have the World Cup mixed in. Bayern Munich is going to have the peaks and valleys of any season. There are going to be some times, like we've seen already, where they look unstoppable and they look great. In other times where they're just not going to look so good. Now, I don't think we're going to quite see maybe some of the shellackings that we saw last year against Gladbach or anything like that. I think this Bayern team is is pretty unique with its mindset and its resilience. I think that this is a, a pretty unique blend that they have on this team of veterans and youngsters. And I think that they are, at this moment, all headed in the right direction, which is Incredible, considering the, the the personalities on this team, uh, the way that <laughs> the numbers could eventually become an issue. It's all been managed well so far by Julian Nagelsmann, and he deserves credit for managing the personalities just as much as he does in managing the team to victories. Uh, it's got to be hard some days in that locker room, and, and we even saw some reports this week that in the DFB Pokal, Roy Sané, approached Nagelsmann at halftime and said he absolutely wanted to be in that match. So uh, these boys from Bayern want to play. Nagelsmann right now is is able to to really work through that, and it's it's all working at this point. Against Victoria Cohn, I think, as I stated in the postgame show, we got what we expected. 5-0 victory. Bayern was extremely strong. It was a good chance to get the younger players some minutes, and they took advantage of it. Ryan Gravenberg. Mathis Tell, Josip Stanisic, Nusar Mizrahi, they all got some extended run. It was great to see that. Matthias DeLict got a, a good chance to go and play a full game and get back to full fitness. So he had to come away from that match feeling pretty good about everything. 
overall for the week, I think it was it was a good week. Listen, everyone wanted to take three points from Gladbach. It didn't happen. But advancing in the Pokal, still scratching out one point against Gladbach, and knowing that you got a chance to see some of your youngsters, you're starting to see some of your veterans round in the form. It's all looking up from here for Bayern Munich. So uh, while some people might be worried about that Gladbach match, I, I, I'm going to kind of gloss over that and just chalk it up to being one of those games. So, uh, yeah, I was pretty happy with the way things played out this week. Second thing I learned this week <laughs> in watching those two games is that Bayern Munich's depth is incredible. And this is something we had talked about quite a few times, whether it's on this show or any of the other shows in our podcast network or even on the site. It is crazy how many good players Bayern Munich has right now and the the performances that they're getting. Now, I've always been kind of skeptical that when you group this much talent, that one, a manager can can really manage it all. It's very tough. These are big ego, high salary players. Keeping them in line, getting them to buy in is not always the easiest task. So it's always worried me when I see, especially in the attack, so much talent. So much that you're you're probably sitting like half of the good players that you have in that group. Um, you know, I, I worry, you know, sometimes when I look at a player like Marcel Sabitzer in central midfield, seeing how he struggled last year not being in an alpha role, you know, I worry because he's been so good so far this season. When Goretzka comes back and inevitably takes that starting role, what Sabitzer do we get from that point forward? Are we going to get the one that we've seen here in the first few weeks of the season who has been steady as hell, crazy, consistent, and damn good? Or are we going to see the one that we got last season who really looked like he was fighting himself every time he was out there? And it, to me, and I'll always go back to this, I think it was such a huge mental adjustment for him going from being the man at Leipzig to really being an afterthought at Bayern Munich that he just did not know how to handle it. And I don't blame him for that. It's a tough task. And in a lot of ways, even at the time, I wondered what the hell he was thinking in coming to Bayern Munich because you could see the writing on the wall for where he would fit in Julian Nagelsmann's system, and it wasn't going to be in the starting 11. So uh, I, I do still have some of those little worries in the back of my mind. I worry that if Diogo Macano and Luca Hernandez and Matthias Delict all continue to excel how Nagelsmann can keep them happy. I mean, those are good problems to have. I think as a manager, Nagelsmann would rather be dealing with this than not enough talent. So uh, I I think that he's got at least a bit of a roadmap for how to navigate this course. I'm always going to have those reservations about how it will all work. But the one thing that you cannot argue at this point is that the depth is really just outstanding and it's going to play a big role for this team over the course of the season. And of course, when we see players like Mathis Tell and Ryan Gravenberg play against Victoria Cohn, we there's, we understand. Yes, it was Victoria Cohn. It was not even FC Cohn. Right. Um, but it's good to see that when they were chosen and they were selected, they went out and put on good performances like they did. I would say the same thing about Josip Stanisic. I, I'm I'm a person that's been championing, championing him for more time over the past season, and I'd really like to see more of him. Uh, I hope that Julian Nagelsmann can find a way to get him more minutes. I think he's got a lot of potential. Uh, to be honest with you, I wasn't 100% on board with the new Sarmas Rally signing just because I felt like Stanisic had 
good potential and could have potentially been, I'm saying potential a lot, could have been a player that you might have been able to lean on on the outside and he could have developed into a starting role. Whether that happens or not now, we'll probably never know because at this point, Benjamin Pavar has been so good. I don't know how he's going to lose that role. So the depth is incredible. I'm just stunned by how good they've all been. It's very rare that you see an entire team really all playing well at the same time for as long as Bayern Munich has. Anybody they put in just puts in a uh, standout performance. So, yeah, it's 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 been great. I am uh, I'm just stunned. I really am because while all of these players look good individually, to see it all come together on the pitch like it has has just been really impressive. And I give a lot of credit to Julian Nagelsmann. I give a lot of credit to Brazo for helping put the squad together. But I, I also give a lot of credit to the players who seem to have a laser focus on making this all work. The third thing that I learned this week is that it seems like it's just a matter of time before Matthijs De Ligt is going to be anointed a full-time starter. Uh, so with De Ligt, we have all read so, so much about his potential. And for those of us who have seen him play extensively before, you know that he's got the size, he's got the aerial ability, and he's actually got the speed for a bigger fella. He can move. And I think we saw some of that in his appearances so far for Bayern Munich, but I think he is definitely going to be that leader on the back line. What that means for everyone else, though, that remains to be seen. Now, what we did here this week, and this is related to Delict, is that Luca Hernandez is is actively considering a contract extension with Bayern Munich. Now, if you've listened to this, I've had this crackpot theory that Based on an interview I read last year that Hernandez was very noncommittal toward a future with Bayern Munich. And to me, I read that as thinking like he likes it here, but he might want to move on. And I thought, well, he'll get through this season, then we'll get to next summer and Bayern would sell him. But now it appears that Hernandez is going to pursue an extension, that the club wants to extend him and that he is at least open to it at this stage. Will he remain open to it? Sure seems like it right now. Um, I'm sure there's always a possibility that he could look somewhere else or he could get wowed by another offer or whatever. But the bottom line is right now, my crackpot theory is out the window because it does look like Bayern Munich is going to work extremely hard to get a deal with Luca Hernandez done and that he wants to be at Bayern Munich. So you have Delict. You're seemingly going to have Hernandez. You're playing a four triple two. Dio Upamakano, is he the odd man out? Sure looks like it right now. Um, but he's been very good this season and it's, it's so odd. I was not super high on him after last year and it had nothing to do with his potential because he clearly has the potential to be a very good player. I, I, I did not like the uneven performances. I thought he really just had some sloppy moments, but it was more the overall consistency. And we've seen consistency issues through the years with players like Serge Gnabry even Leon Goretzka, when he was first at Bayern Munich, it was like one good performance, one down performance. Um, you know, we've seen consistency issues with Sané. It, it's not abnormal for a player to deal with that, especially in their first year with a new club. But I feel like this season, Upamakano has really gotten his act together. He's been very, very steady. Um, and it's it's kind of unfortunate to think that you have one of those three is, is going to um, be sitting out on the reg, right? Like... <laughs> But 
you know, if Nagelsmann can find a way to rotate them in and make keep them all happy, then then that's great. The one X factor here is Benjamin Pavar, who has been arguably the best on the back line all season. And that's just not me spouting off about it. If you look at who scored or some of the other rating systems, they've got him rated as one of the best defenders in the Bundesliga this season uh, so far. And I mean, just the eye test alone, you're seeing him play much more confident. How great has he looked getting up in the attack? And that's something we didn't even see that much under Flick. And of course, I always revert back to, well, Benjamin Pavar will always play hurt. And that's a problem. He, he wants to gut it out, but he, he is clearly not ready to go. And I think that did affect him in some previous seasons in terms of getting up and joining the attack and being a, being a force that way. I was really starting to think after last season, he was really going to become more of a stay at home right back, not be someone who gets up in the play and joins it. But he, he's thrown that all out the window right now. And he's been excellent being this two-way player. And I think it's added a lot to Bayern Munich's attack. The problem for Bavar is he wants to be a center back. You know, in the end, will it be good enough for him to stay at right back just to be a part of the club, just to be a part of a team like this? Or does he want to play center back so bad that he would leave a good situation like Bayern Munich potentially next summer and find a different place to go? I mean, you don't have to look far to find teams that would want him. Now, I know Chelsea signed about a million defenders and probably don't need him anymore. But even clubs like Manchester United were reportedly interested in him. So there would be a market for Pavar, especially if he continues to play this way. I just hope in seeing how he's been, that he would accept this role at right back and, and want to continue to play. But if he does want to make that push to, to be a center back full time and Byron wants to keep him, how the hell do you make all four of those guys work at center back? Uh, aside of moving to a back three based formation, I don't think he can. So uh, it's definitely something that I'll be watching. It's something that I'm very intrigued by because when I look at Delict, I don't think you make that acquisition unless you you're planning on using him as a, as your one of your champagne 11, right? And for Hernandez, he, he is arguably over the past couple of years been as steady as any defender Bayern Munich has had during that time period. So to me, those two are the no brainer starters, but it does leave Dio Upamakano out of the mix. Would he be happy in a rotation? Is that something that would be acceptable to him or would he want to move on? And if he moves on, does that mean Pavar becomes a swing player playing some center back and some right back? I don't know. There are a lot of possibilities here. It's kind of crazy to even think about a future transfer window when we're just wrapping up one of the craziest ones in recent memory. But it is a situation where you have a lot of talent. As of now, you've only got two center back positions and how Julian Nagelsmann makes it work with some of those guys, I'm very keen to see. But until then, uh, I guess it's a waiting game, and that's what we're doing, just kind of biding time, seeing if Matthias Delict can get to that fitness level that Bayern Munich wants him to achieve before they give him a starting role. Ah, the fourth thing that I learned this week, and this is a little bit of an oddball one, is that I am daydreaming about a Bayern Munich versus Manchester City Champions League finale. And yeah, I know that sounds weird because who the hell is thinking about a Champions League finale when the Champions League has not even started yet? I don't know. I'm a weirdo like this. 
I'm just kind of surveying the entire field. And what I see is a dysfunctional PSG, Liverpool on the way down. Chelsea, to me, is a hot mess. Real Madrid is legitimate. Juventus, eh, not a huge fan. So I'm I'm looking at some of those big names. Barcelona, I mean, they do have Robert Lewandowski, but I'm still not quite buying into them yet. Tottenham Hotspur, not buying into them either. So when I'm just processing all this and I'm watching how the matches have played out over the first few weeks of this season, right away, my eyes are darting to Bayern Munich and Manchester City as the two teams to beat in Europe for the season. Now, of course, that will probably work out in a way that they play each other before the finale. But that is how crooked UEFA goes. I'm just joking about crooked, but you know what I mean. There's virtually no shot the best two teams ever meet in the final. It's typically always in a quarterfinal round or semifinal. It's always too early. But either way, to me, it has been a lot of fun to see this Bayern Munich team, how they've developed and how they play. And, of course, we've talked ad nauseum about just how fun this team has been. And while I don't watch a lot of the Premier League, and that's a that's a choice, I like to spend my time that I do watch footy. I like to watch the Bundesliga. Um, I do like that Erling Haaland is is going to England, has went to England, and he's just whooping everyone's ass. Because one, we have heard so much Farmers League talk; it's just gotten tiresome. Of course, we love to lampoon that on the site, and we will do it at every chance. But for years, you hear about players like Lewandowski and Haaland and that, well, the only reason they're able to put up numbers is because they're in Germany. The Bundesliga is weak. It's a one-club league. It's Bayern Munich in the first tier, maybe Dortmund and RB Leipzig in the second tier, and everyone else sucks. That's what the general population seems to think on social media. I, of course, don't think it's a one-team league. I do think Borussia Dortmund. I do think RB Leipzig. I think they are quality run clubs and however you may feel about them or or any harsh feelings you may have toward them they are successful they are producing talent and for a large part they are producing results on the pitch uh, you also have clubs like Bayer Leverkusen you have Eintracht Frankfurt you have Gladbach these are all clubs that have had some recent success uh, so for me I like seeing that Holland has come from the dregs of Germany and gone over to uh, the Premier League, and he's just destroying everyone. Because anyone who's watched the Bundesliga over the past couple of years knew exactly what was going to happen when he went to England, just like we knew what was going to happen when Robert Lewandowski went to La, La Liga. All right, there, there was never doubt in my mind that both of those guys were going to go to their new leagues and they were going to tear them up. And to see Holland play for Man City, and I am no City fan. I'm not even truthfully that big of a Pep fan. But to see that even Pep has not found a way to screw up Erling Holland has given me the reassurance that he's just going to go th- and rip through that league. And it's going to be a lot of fun for him. It's going to be a lot of fun watching him. It will not be so fun if you are an anti-City person or if you don't like Manchester City. And again, I have no... I have no dog in this fight. I could care less about the Premier League. At most, I follow the teams just to see who's where, to know where they're at, know how they're doing. Because for some of what we do at BFW, we have to have a gauge on 
what players are at which clubs, how they're performing, what their stats are like. We have to keep tabs on all of it. But I will, at some point, watch some City matches this season because just because I'm intrigued to watch Erling Haaland and I want to see him destroy that league. <laughs> it makes me so happy to think that he's going to. But when I get past all of that and my harsh feelings about wanting Haaland to destroy the Premier League and Lewandowski to destroy La Liga, I do ultimately think that the best two teams in Europe, at least in my eyes right now, are Bayern Munich and Manchester City. And I love the thought of a heavyweight battle between those two. And and to be honest, right now, I think City is the more advanced team. I think they had a stronger, more consistent foundation in place under Pep. And adding Holland was that missing piece that they needed. Uh, it doesn't mean that Bayern Munich could not beat them. It just means that I think right now with that system that Pep runs and the way that City can possess the ball when they need to, I think it would give them the edge. Now, the one edge that Bayern would have is that Pep has not been the best big game coach of late. Now, we know he's a great coach. There's no arguing that. We know he's had a lot of success. And that's not to knock him and say he's a choke artist or anything like that because it's patently false. He has had some struggles lately in big games and not just having his teams prepared, but with also some of the tactics that he's prepared on his own. So to me, it would be a very fascinating matchup to see this, this Bayern Munich squad versus that Man City squad with Erling Holland. And yes, I am daydreaming about it. I would look forward to seeing it. And it would be, I think, one of the more entertaining Champions League finals if it got to that stage. So yeah, I'm a loser like that. I'm looking at it and no, I don't want to, I don't want to hear any nonsense about me being a city fan. I, I really am not. Uh, I am just really right now wanting to see Holland rip through the Premier League. So I will be rooting for him, but not necessarily for City. Finally, the last thing that I learned this week is that Bayern Munich had an absolutely dominant transfer window. And we're going to walk through each of the major moves here just to, to, to give kind of a baseline of what happened, why it's important, and where this is all going. So, as you all know, Bayern Munich brought in the following people. He had Matthijs De Ligt from Juventus at $67 million, Sadio Mane from Liverpool at $32 million, Mathis Tell from Stad Rene $20 million, Ryan Gravenberg from Ajax at $18.5 million, Lucera Mizrali also from Ajax, all, and he was a free transfer. So, those numbers all came from transfer marks. Um, I'm sure that there are bonuses and whatnot not included, but those were the base fees that they had listed as the transfer amounts. Incredible list of incoming transfers. You've got good value with players like Mizrahi, who was a free transfer. Gravenberg looks like he will be a steal at 18 and a half million. Tell while he looked great against Victoria Cole, and we haven't obviously haven't seen enough of him to know if he can do that on a repeated basis against top-notch competition, but he also looks really, really good right now. Sadio Mane for $32 million is ridiculous. That is, <laughs> that's, that's a Brazo masterclass right there. And Matthijs De Ligt, $67 million. Incredible move right there because I do think he is the foundational center back that this club needed, and I think he will be that player. Outgoing transfers, Robert Lewandowski, from F- two FC Barcelona for $45 million, Tanguy Nianzu to Sevilla, 
16 million, Chris Richards to Crystal Palace for 12 million, Mark Roca to Leeds United for 12 million, Omar Richards to Nottingham Forest for eight and a half million, Yeshua Xerxes to Bologna, eight and a half million, Lars Lucas Mai to FC Lugano, 1.6 million, Christian Fructal to Austria Wien, 500,000, Ron Torben Hoffman, Eintracht Braunschweig. 300,000, Nicholas Sula. They lost him as a free transfer to Borussia Dortmund. Quarantine Toliso to Olympic Lyon was a free transfer. Adrian Fine was also a free transfer, and he went to Excelsior Rotterdam. So let's look at those free transfers first. Obviously, Sula was a tough loss, but when you backfill him with Delict, how can you complain? I was a huge Sula fan, hated to see him go, but you got Delict, and that did ease the pain of that loss a lot. Toliso, of course... Wow, uh, the guy's snake-bitten, injury-riddled career with Bayern Munich. But he, in my mind, still had just great untapped potential even after that devastating knee injury. I think he was a good pickup for Lyon, and it made sense for him to move on. No problems with that move. Adrian Fine was a very interesting move because Bayern let him go for free when they could have sold him, but that was obviously the best way to get him off the roster as they had no plans for him. So I think the club did him a solid, and I think he did good by the club in terms of working with them to get that move done. So uh, Adrian Fine, while he did look like he was going to have a big career at Bayern Munich at some point, it clearly will not be happening. The two young goalkeepers, Fruchtel and Hoffman, Johannes Schenk, it looks like he will be the, the next young goalkeeper to uh, kind of usurp that title of uh, GK of the future potentially, but Fructal and Hoffman never really established themselves. Fructal, I think most people had really high hopes for, and he just never was able to stay healthy long enough to build momentum to show his talent. Uh, Ron Torton Hoffman, I actually kind of liked him. I thought he was a, a very, very solid player. Um, of course, I got to see him when Bayern Munich uh, played in Philadelphia against Juventus back in 2018. Uh, so I always kind of kept an eye on him because of that. So I think, you know, I think he's got a future. It's just a matter of can he stay consistent enough to um, to really make an impact. And for 300000 it really, like, they kind of gave him away. But what could you really get for him at that stage? Lars Lucas Mai, another player who I think a lot of people had high hopes for, but never really panned out, didn't really dominate or even – Play consistently on his loan, so a change of scenery was needed. Yashua Xerxes, wow. A lot of potential. Uh, I know that there are some stipulations in his contract, and it doesn't seem like a lot with the $8.5 million, but I think it's a good move for him. He also needed to go. It's not that he's a bad player. It's just that there was no room for him on the roster this season, or really for the foreseeable future. Omar Richards, Great business deal, mostly because I never understood why they signed him in the first place. It seemed like the most puzzling move to bring in a young left back to back up a younger left back <laughs> made no sense to me. In fact, it gives me a headache to think that Richards would ever want to take that deal. From Byron's perspective, it was a, it was a house flip. I mean, they brought him in for nothing and sold him for eight and a half million. So good for Brazo on that one. Mark Roca, another player needed a change of scenery. Just could not break through under Flick, could not break through under Nagelsmann. Just something about him didn't sync with those two coaches. 
Hopefully he can get everything together at Leeds and then he's able to show what kind of player he is. I kind of question whether he's really as good as was advertised when we first started to hear about him being linked to Bayern Munich. To me, he just looked like he was lacking some lateral movement. He or lateral speed, I should say. Uh, he did positionally, I believe, understand that defensive midfield position. And I think he was good at holding his position. But when you're trying to be agile and have to defend on the run, he he was not always the most fleet of foot in those tight spaces in terms of being able to cut and turn and that kind of thing. Chris Richards, uh, you know, obviously, I think he still has a load of potential, but it was a fit thing, and he was no longer going to be a fit at Bayern Munich because of the numbers on the roster. Tangai Nianzu, very similar to Richards. Uh, young player, a lot of potential, but there was no room for him anymore. So I get why he wanted to leave, and I get why Bayern got a decent deal for him. Lewandowski, we've talked about ad nauseum. Uh, I still don't think they got enough for him, but he kind of forced it. Bayern's hand on that. So getting the $45 million from a club that had to pull about 85 levers to make it happen. Uh, I guess that's the best you could do. As far as loans go right now, three primary loans that um, at least to me stand out. We're not going to go through all the different loans. If you want all of the loan info, definitely hit our Monday column that comes out, Bavarian Loan Works. Logan does a phenomenal job compiling all the latest info on that. So check that out and you'll get all of the loans. But I want to focus on three. Gabriel Vitovich at Vitesse, Malik Tillman at Rangers, and Bright RMB at Hanover 96. <sighs> For Bright RMB, it was another situation where he needed to find a, a good spot to move to. Uh, FC Cullen had no interest in bringing him back, didn't have a spot for him. So this was a good, good opportunity for him to go to Hanover. Malik Tillman also uh, needed to be somewhere where he could play. And it looks like he's getting that time at Rangers and he's making the most of it. So great move there. And Gabriel Vidovich, of course, was the most recent move. He uh, absolutely needed opportunity. He will absolutely get it. So right away, I think that that move's great. Uh, The only thing I think people would kind of look at and maybe not be happy about is we did have a segment of people who were hardcore Conrad Limer. Byron needs to get him. He's a ball winner, blah, 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 all that. Limer's a fantastic player, but I don't see the need for him this season. Uh, and so I was okay with not getting him. It had nothing to do with the cost, whether it was 20 million or 30 million. It didn't really matter to me. I thought he was an excess purchase because when you have Kimmich and you have Goretzka and you have Sabitzer and you have Gravenberg, you even have Jamal Musiala who you could deploy back there if you needed to. Um, you know, even Yosef Stanisic is able to play there. I, I don't think that he Limer was needed. I don't think that Byron needed to spend the money. I just think that it was a smart move to pass on him. And if you really do want him, if Byron does want Limer, they can get him for free next summer. I don't think they need him this year. And while, of course, you want to get a player that you like or that you want in-house as soon as possible, I just don't know that Byron was was really feeling a pressing need to bring him in given the depth that they have. So, yeah, I mean, this is weird for me to say because I've criticized Brazo for a lot of things. 
Uh, I don't go too hard on the transfers. Like, yeah, of course, the the, the Bunasar transfer was a clown show. That whole window was a clown show, just given how things played out and went down. But I don't like to judge a sporting director just based on a couple of moves because they're every single sporting director or every single general manager is going to have misses. But this window right now looks like all hits, no misses for Brazo. So maybe for all of those issues that we we found there right ahead of the 2020-2021 season, right after the, the treble, uh, where I think Byron got caught up making some panic buys. They were proactive in this window. They got ahead of everything. There was no need for a panic buy, and I thought they handled it perfectly. And, you know, I have been critical of a lot of things in the way that that Brazo has handled people, and I'll never get over the flick deal and how that all went down. But I'm also very quick to tell you he's done a phenomenal job. He has, in my mind, changed some of the ways he's operating he he talks with Nagelsmann all the time. It, it involves him, and I think that that's key. And like I've said a couple of weeks ago, the biggest key you wanted to see from Brazo was the growth in how he works with the coaching staff and how he takes their input and how he uses it. And he seems to have made that leap into learning from his mistakes, embracing collaboration, and really finding that line to where he can take their input and he can trust them enough to go do what they want. Now, I'm sure he doesn't do everything, but he's doing enough to keep everybody happy. And at Bayern Munich, that's not always so easy. As far as the entertainment rundown goes, I'll quickly touch on House of the Dragon. It was better second week. I I can already tell you I'll be a little bit annoyed by these time hops. I thought there was some possibility for some very intriguing storylines i'm still having trouble buying into some of the characters because i don't think they're all that interesting um i'm hoping that changes uh there just was a lot to me going on this week and uh you know i don't think it's tough to follow but i do think there's just unnecessary rushing and that's i'm always going to feel that way Matt Smith's Damon Targaryen is still the best character on the show by far. He holds all of the intrigue and I am looking forward to seeing what he does next week, or at least in this next episode, uh, you know, he's being built up. It seems to be the big baddie, uh, but I don't know. I'm so conflicted because it doesn't seem like he's all that bad of a guy to be honest with the way the show's written. So I'm having trouble seeing how this like jumps from like, all right, well maybe he's an annoying brother to he's, you know, a guy that needs to be dead. I don't know how that transition is going to work, but um, I'll say it's growing on me a little bit as much as I wanted to stiff arm this and just move along and never enter or never re-enter the game of Thrones universe. I'm, enjoying this a little more than i thought i would but i am still still very skeptical of this the crab feeder storyline is is definitely intriguing me but the one thing that that kind of makes this a little different than game of thrones to me is the presence of the dragons right away 
And it doesn't appear to, to be like really something that can ever really be a fair battle if there are dragons involved, right? Even in a battle when there's dragons on both sides, it, there's always going to be some kind of conflict where there's only one dragon around. So to me, it's like, all right, well, anytime there's a conflict and there's a dragon involved, they're going to torture everyone and that's going to be it. <laughs> so it does take some of the intrigue. One of the great things about Game of Thrones was when they had battles, how they handled them, and that it was kind of man-on-man battles, or woman-on-woman, or however you want to do it, person-on-person, all right? I'll say it that way. However you want to phrase that, they were humans battling, and it, it, it was fun. Even when we got to the point where they were battling the dead, it was actually, I was okay with that. It wasn't until the dragons came in and changed the whole game, which I guess is the point of the whole show, uh, when it comes to the Targaryens, um, that it, it kind of seemed that it just, the playing field slanted a little too much for me. But yeah, I'll admit it. I am, I'm enjoying it a little more than I thought I would, but I don't know that I'm all the way in just yet. I think there, this could go off the rails pretty quickly. And I will say that the Viserys Targaryen, the whole courtship scene with the girl who is uh lena valerian who is some relation i can't follow this freaking targaryen family tree like everyone else but i think it's a second cousin regardless that scene creeped me out i don't care if it's i don't care if it's tv or fantasy or whatever it's just weird seeing an old dude and a young girl talk like that and it's like i don't know Maybe it's because I have daughters, but it was really, it creeped me out. So I didn't like that, but whatever. I guess you have to get past that to watch this show. I I don't know. I struggle with that a little bit. Anyway, that'll wrap it up for this week. I do appreciate you listening. It was uh, a lot of fun to talk through the events of this week, especially how the transfer window shook out. And uh, I just appreciate you guys checking in every week and downloading the show. So big thanks to you for that. Uh, as always, you can get me at the barrel blog you can get the site at Bavarian FB works. You can get Tom at Tommy Adams 71 and you can get, I need no name at BFW INNN, or you can get any of the other podcasters uh, as they write posts on the site. As always, please check our site. We're going to have some fantastic game coverage of the union Berlin match this week. I'm picking Byron in that one. So you can look for my official prediction to come out in the weekend warm-up column that will be out on Friday morning. But I'm expecting a good match. Union Berlin is always a lot of fun, and they do like to try and trade punches with everyone. So hopefully we get that kind of match. That'll do it, and we will see you next time.